back to the Value Driven Investor Podcast, where we forge value-driven investors on a mission to live life on their terms. No matter where you have come from or where you are going, becoming a value-driven investor is in all our best interests because becoming financially free allows us to focus on what matters most, fulfilling our purpose. Our community of value-driven investors is committed to showing you the way. With the support of this community, you are sure to reach your goals. For all of us in the value-driven investor community, there is no greater gift than the gift of giving because together, anything is possible. Today could be one of the best episodes all year because today Robert and I are going to be talking about our 2021 annual investment review. What the heck does that mean? Well, you know, 2020 was a crazy year for investors, for anybody in real estate. So we have predictions. Naturally, you're going to have predictions. Naturally, you're going to think about, man, what's 2021 going to have in store for us? So today we're going to talk about predictions we had and what came true. We're going to talk about big problems that we faced and how we overcame them. And then we're also going to talk about just brain dumping, basically everything that went down in 2021 from both Robert and my perspective. So let's start it off this way, Robert, because I think it, this is going to be in my, in my mind, when I'm watching, listening to podcasts, I just love when the guys are just sitting there and they're just, they're going off, you know, and you and I do this off line all the time where we just like we get on a topic and we just go off and it's amazing all the value that comes out of it so today i was like we got to do this because it's coming to the end of the year how did the year go and then i think um on our next podcast episode we're gonna do 2022 predictions so we're gonna go look backwards here Mm -hmm. in the 2021 annual review and then we're gonna go forwards for 2022 predictions in the next podcast episode so i want to start off with this because Whenever I go into a year, I start off with the number one thing. What is my goal going to be going into the year? And I would tell you this, in 2022, I mean, it just threw me, it was an awesome year actually as an investor. I was nervous during 2020 um, and then in 2021, I was like, is this gonna carry over? Because the year was fantastic. So many people got out of investing and I, jumped in investing in 2020 and took some deals that I was nervous about. I remember having a call with you on one of the deals where I'm like, I'm about to pull the trigger. I'm about to pull the trigger, man. Should I do this? Tell me every reason I shouldn't do this. And you're like, (laughs) man, based on what you told me, like I would do it. And I, and I pulled it and it was, I did that a couple times in 2020 and it panned out. It was awesome. I was excited. But then 2021 came and I remember you and I were talking. I was just like, Grando, what do you think? What's going to come down the pipe? And one of my goals was going into 2021, because one of my biggest goals in 2020 was to get into multifamily apartment investing, to find my own multifamily deal that I purchased and generaled and everything. Like I was the general partner. I was running the show in 2020. I said, you know what? You got to do that in 2021. Well, in 2020, I invested as a passive investor in, uh, and it actually was in early 2020 slash 2019, I invested as a passive investor. In 2021, I pa- I invested in a couple more deals as a passive investor, but I'll tell you, mm, I did not find a multifamily property to purchase on my own and be the general partner and get that ball rolling. That is one goal that haunted me this year. It was hard. And I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that when we talk about the deals that were frustrating for us this year. But that was one of my biggest goals was to, number one, just get deeper into multifamily investing. Now, I did that on a passive side. And what's super exciting is that I was able to hit, not a home run, but I would call it a solid triple on that. So that was one of my goals. One of my other goals was to obviously find smaller deals. Like I'm so entrenched the last couple of years, 2020, 2019, so entrenched in these bigger infill development deals. I'm like, I got to reduce my risk a little bit on that. And I got to start to find some smaller deals here in 2021. And I was excited because I was able to pull that off. And I found some smaller deals that give me more flexibility, um, where when you're pot committed into these big infill development deals, it it can get a little 
nerving, unnerving, and it can get a little risky. So I was able to pull that off. And then the other thing was, is that um, I wanted to just keep exploring the commercial world uh, because that's really where I'm going is I'm, I'm never going to give up what I have. And I, and I know Robert's never going to give up what he has in residential, but I'm really pushing myself to explore the commercial world and get into that commercial world and now have a two pronged approach. And it's really diversity mm-hmm. for me, it's diversity. Um, and it's also an ability to take cash and turn it into strong cash flow and have long-term uh, highly liquid assets. So those were some of my goals. I, I definitely followed the path of all my goals in 2021. Um, but Robert, give me a little insight on some of the goals that you had and, and what you uh, what you were after in 2021 and how it all kind of played yeah. out there. Yeah, really for me in 2021, it was just keep growing the uh, the residential flipping. We were doing cosmetic flips mainly, you know, I think uh, in 2020 is what we we're doing. And then 2021, we wanted to start doing bigger projects and, and digging in a little bit deeper. And, and we're completely on that path, you know, and we're doing really well with that to the point where I got to the point where I was like thinking, I'd like to not do a studs up remodel. You know, it's like this is starting to get a little bit old. Uh, then coming back to, you know, just recently where we finally got another cosmetic one and we whipped right through it. And it just that was a, a good lesson for me to recognize that, you know, you you can't always just focus on the, you know, the studs up remodels. You got to have some in between to kind of keep your cash flow rolling a little bit quicker back and forth, you know, because we self fund all of our rehabs um, with our, you know, our capital from our own business. But I think, you know, for me, the other big thing, you know, outside the investment side of thing was just our brokerage side. We wanted to streamline operations there make things better, get our transactional volume up to 50 units on that side. And I think we fell a little bit short of that this year, um, but we're putting some good measures in place and kind of working on it. And so just thinking about that one, you know, we were doing that and we didn't even we didn't even do marketing for that side of that business. And I thought it was kind of interesting, you know, so, you know, if if we haven't really done much for it and we're that successful with it, you know, how successful could it really be? And so it, it made me really take notice and think like we should be focusing and not letting other businesses slip while we're growing another section of our business. So that was another thing that I, I thought about, you know, this last year, my big failure over the year that I thought I would be done with is my uh, apartment complex. I thought that thing would be damn near completion um, by this time, but I'm still working on trying to get the electrical dealing with a nightmare with these cities. And I'm shooting for a variance to get my project out of this whole nightmare. How long have you owned that? now uh 16 months 16 months and it was it was occupied up until a few months ago so now you know the big push is you know it's now i'm paying the the payment every single month and so that's when the rubber starts meeting the road <laughs> you right? got Where it you're like, well, that's <laughs> you're when the fire's lit losing. so yeah it's <laughs> like i'm getting it done now so we're, we're going to make some good progress before the end of the year on it. I think I'll have the electrical figured out and everything working that way. And then the new panels and everything installed. That's the big push for the end of the year to hit 2022, the ground running for the six month, first six months to be getting the, the seven units that I have, you know, kind of in various stages of construction completely back <laughs> up and running. Cause once I get those going, then it'll be cash flowing again, you know, and then I can focus on getting the rest of it all dialed. But that's been kind of the, the I think probably the biggest failure for me is just not getting that done and not anticipating and taking on a project that big, you know, and, and not realizing, you know, all the all the possible failure points along the way. But how, but like, really, deal. how could you realize that? You, you That's no. the thing, like, yeah. when you go into new territory and you actually jump out of the plane, you, you yeah. can't account for every single variable especially in a project as dynamic as that project number one that project had a ton of value add that you needed to put into it yeah it was in pretty much you know pretty big disarray um you know plus you had tenants in there that you probably are going to want to get out because you wanted to have higher paying tenants Mm -hmm. i mean you threw yourself a curveball that was like literally moving six different ways and you were trying to hit it but but that was the beauty of it and you knew that like you knew going in that was going to be the case but i can only imagine all of the things that this thing has taught you for the future when you put a deal together i i I feel so much confident (laughs) so much more confident looking at a 
a small apartment complex and what it might need and how to anticipate those needs for sure. And I know, you know, the other thing too, like coming out of that was just the strength of our construction team. We recently replaced a couple of members, you know, on our team with uh, two other guys that are just rock stars. And now we're pushing the construction side of it to just the one, you know, to be our construction foreman for our stuff. And so, and pushing the projects there. So I'm a little bit more hands off with it, but he completely knows, you know, what's needed to be done on everything. And, and he has that ability to make those decisions on what we're, how we're working, how it gets done. So we don't have to have all the micro decisions in between us because he's, he's got really good skills. So, so yeah, you know, so that's been kind of for me, you know, what have I, what have I, what have I done great? What have I failed at? You know, it's exactly. like, but, uh, our rehabs, I mean, we, we plan to hit 15 this year and I think we're going to hit 15 or more. So we're, nice. we're doing good, good on you. that finding good deals. So. Good for you, man. Good for you. Yeah. For me, like, um, I never really set a number of how many projects I want to do. I yeah. always am. Cause especially, like I said, I'm heavier on the infill development. So I think we're going to have like six, uh, big infill development projects. And then I probably, I have like three or four, I think four smaller rehab projects that I yeah. did. Um, and the smaller rehab projects were good and they, it was a re it was getting back to fundamentals. And that yeah. was what I really wanted to do is I wanted to get back to fundamentals and you nailed it. It's like those, you know, micro flips, which is a topic we're going to talk about coming up here, uh, down the way in the podcast, those micro flip rehabs, man, when you make good money on it, it's probably the best deal you can find. Oh it's like, God. cause yeah. there's less stress. It's quick turn of the money. It's a best ROI, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I had to get back to that. And I was like, gosh, I just literally inked the deal on one um, that I had. And I was like, man, I got to find a couple more of those. So that's something that I'm going to push forward. And I'll talk about next week, as far as my, my strategy coming in for uh, the next podcast in 2022. But I totally agree with you that. And, and that's the thing. It's like, you look at these big projects and I think you and I are the same way. Like you're like, God, I got to kind of get out of these studs up. I can't have so many studs up remodels, mm -hmm. you know, because they just suck you and they take so much time and energy and, and thought process. And that was the same thing with these, these big infill development projects that I have. It's just like, it takes so much time, effort and whatever. Now you make a bigger return at the yeah. end, but you have to really think about it. Like, how much time do I've invested? How much energy do I've invested? How much stress do I've invested? What, what is, is it really worth it? And like, how do you balance and diversify all that? And I think grand, that's the beauty of this annual investment review is like, yeah, that's what we're talking about here is like, how do you find that perfect algorithm? You know, it's the Rubik's cube. How do you put the Rubik's cube right. together? And you're like, Oh my gosh, I think I nailed it. And you know, the other thing I wanted to talk about was the market. So Let's talk a little bit about, about the market. And I, and I like what you said because, you know, I wasn't that focused this year on my brokerage either because it wasn't one of my, and I don't have a brokerage. I'm an agent and I work under a broker. Uh, yeah. Robert actually has his own brokerage and he's a broker. Um, but I wasn't really focused on that this year. I, I crushed it last year. I had a lot of deals going on the investment side and one of my main goals was the commercial. So it's like something had to give this year. Like I can't do a bunch of, cause I don't have a team, but I have a good book of business. I have, uh, I have a team when it comes to support. Like, you know, I have uh, Diana who's on my team who supports me, but I don't have a bunch of agents on my team that I have to, and it's intentional because I don't want to have to feel like I am obligated to help them grow their business. Um, right. So my, my re residential sales, like just straight up, suffered for sure this year. And that's something that I'm going to focus on next year. And I thought it was really interesting. Did you expect your residential sales to suffer at all this year? Did you think it was going to be just like um, 2020 where it was like, I mean, you couldn't do anything wrong? No, I, I, you know, I, I did kind of expect it a little bit because every other day more and more agents are added to the market to you get a tipping point, no matter what, you know, you can't overcome the fact if a brand new agent hits the market and your past client is now a family member of that other agent, you know, even if they yeah. just hit the market there, that's, it's an unbridgeable yeah. gap. You know, the family gap is a hard one to bridge. So I just feel like, you know, over the last you know few years, it's been kind of like an, an influx of agents, which is cool. Um, but it just seems to be, it cuts down the market share, the market share, the market share of the people that you know. So it was just kind of like, well, you know, am I going to be worried about that or am I going to focus on that? No, you know, cause I'm not really focused on that side of the business, 
But with home prices going as high as they are, you know, the one thing is I noticed is like, well, we're leaving a lot of money on the table by not putting the marketing systems in place to bring in business because we have people in place to actually work the business, you know. And our agent that we brought on last year, she made more money this last year, I think, with us than she's ever made in her whole career. So, I mean, that's that's a win, you know, and she's a relatively new agent. But, I mean, can you imagine if you come in and work with a company they just keep dropping deals on your lap. And so you just keep working these deals. Even with your split, you're making more money than what you've ever made. I mean, it's good. But to me, I'm like, well, I want to get to 50. I want to get to 75 and 100 transactions. Like, there's no reason why our business should not be running at that level, you know? So, well, and like, when it comes to the investment side, let's stick with the market topic, like just the market yeah. in general. What are we really predicting in 2021? Mm. You know, I really think that you and I with the two pronged approach, which is part of the value driven investor philosophy of, you know, have a good brokerage, have a good real estate residential sales business where you're helping other people transact, but then focus on your investment side. What do you, what did you expect in 2021 from the investment side of, of the business compared to 2020, the year before, what were your predictions? What were you thinking um, when it came to that, as far as just the investment side, rehabbing properties, yeah. turning properties, all that stuff. Well, uh, you know, I knew numbers were going to get tighter, you know, over the year because you could see construction costs going up in 2020. And so I knew they're going to get tighter. So I knew we were going to have to be tighter, you know, on our project numbers and how they things were going to look. Um, but my big prediction that I thought I thought we were going to have a lot more foreclosures. And I thought that dam would have broken loose already. And it didn't. And so. I know, you know, they keep, you know, I do a lot of reading on it and they say that, you know, it's not looking as bad as it possibly can be. Uh, then, but then you, you hear things like, you know, there's potentially, you know, two to three million homes still in forbearance and stuff like that. And two to three million homes, you know, in forbearance, if they don't get sold or they have to come in the market, that's enough to shift the market, you know, big time across the United States. And so uh, I was fully expecting this year to, and it's one of the reasons why I made such a push into the investment side is I thought that we were going to be able to pick up a lot of more, you know, people in distressed situations. And I thought that was really going to break loose this year, um, but it hasn't. But there, it's got to at some point, right? I mean, not everybody's well, going to get I, out. You know, so. I'm going to debate you on that. I, I yeah. don't think, like, if you're saying there's 2 million yeah. potential foreclosures out there, uh, people struggling, I don't think you'll see, I think you might see 25% of those hit the market. So yeah. I don't think it's going to be that impactful. Um, and the reason why I say that, number one, the banks are making more money than ever right now. Yeah. Number two, the government is pushing harder than ever for the people that are struggling. And so what I've read and what I've heard from multiple people that I've talked to is that there's a lot of pressure on the banks or the servicers of these loans to just figure it out. Now, right. if somebody's right. flat out cannot pay and will not pay, and you have to realize like, this is stuff that I learned back when I was in the game, that banks will wait years sometimes. I've heard oh, yeah. of banks waiting five years before they ever foreclose on someone that has not paid. And so Crazy. if you're not paying, yeah, inevitably you will get foreclosed on. But mm -hmm. I feel like there's so much pressure from government. There's so much pressure for, on banks in general for the people. There's so much pressure on banks because of like cryptocurrency and like they, they're, they're feeling more pressure, I think, as banks than they ever have. And yeah. so they have to figure it out to be a good servicer and to get things done. They have to find a way. And that's what I've heard from a lot of people is that they're getting pressure. And that basically everybody, all the, the government and whomever is saying, find a way to keep people in their house. We're not going through this again. Okay. Yeah, right, and so that's right. why I'm a big believer that, yeah, 25% of the 2 million will hit the market. And yeah. if you can jump on it, you can jump on it. But the thing is, if the market is low inventory, and a bank owned comes on the market, the bank's gonna play games. I mean, I'm right. watching it. I watch bank owned properties every day and they overprice it. They sit on it for 30, 60, 90, 120, 180 days. And you're like, what are you doing? It right, just like, right. whatever they do doesn't make any sense. And so I have thrown in a couple offers and I know a couple other guys have thrown offers on bank properties, 
But the other thing is, is like <clears throat> they're not allowing an investor to buy the property until after 30, 60, 90 days because right, right. they want to sell it to. So I think your philosophy is going to be even if 2 million properties come to market, the banks are going to try to sell it to individuals or actual owner occupants before investors. I think yeah. it's going to be a hard nut to crack because I don't think enough volume will come to the market where they have to go to the investors and say, hey, can you help me? The other thing right. is, the other reason why, and I like this topic because I think it'll, from my perspective, it'll debunk a potential myth. Mm -hmm. If they really need to get rid of properties, like let's say they have a package deal on the secondary market because that's how these properties are put together. They right. package them on a secondary market. Well, Zillow's out of the game, but right. Open Door isn't out of the game. BlackRock isn't out of the game. They'll just True. go, hey, knock, knock. What if I sell this to you at a discount? Would you take these 100 properties and I'll sell it to you at a discount. Oh, sure. Why not? <laughs> that's so true. You know, so now they, yeah. that's another barrier to entry before it gets to you and me, who's mm -hmm. actually going to have an opportunity to buy it at the right price. I just think, yeah. in my opinion, I wouldn't bank on it because I just don't think it's going to happen unless something major happens where a huge influx right. like back in 2006 and 2000 or 2008 where a huge influx comes and people can't absorb it. Um, so right. that's my two cents on it. But yeah. I, I, I was thinking the same thing. I thought through that whole process and I researched that process. And that was kind of the conclusion that I came to. I don't know. Do you no, think it has good. merit? No. Yeah, I know. I can, I can see it both sides, you know. Um, but I can, you know, in our area of Oregon, I mean, they haven't even really let a foreclosure go through, even if there was something pending. And normally there's normal levels of foreclosures, right? Like that properties that are just going to transition through that they haven't even let transition through. It's probably the lowest number of foreclosures in the last two years, probably on record in history. I mean, Government those things are still there. Right? right. Those things are still there. I mean, they're going to go eventually to foreclosure is, and I'm not worried about it, you know, shifting the regular real estate market. I just want to be able to get in that Avenue yeah. and be able to go buy. Some Give me three deals. or four or five of them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like it, to add to my inventory, you know, to be able to is another Avenue to be like, Hey, there's a great deal going on down at the courthouse today. And so that you can be jumping in on. So, but yeah, you know, that's kind of like my thought. I just thought that they would have lifted that ban, you know, for the ability to do that by now to be able to allow those to go through. And you know, I've read it, I've heard it a few different ways. You know, there's people that, that truly believe there's going to be a financial crisis from foreclosures, you know, out there, people that are in forbearance. And, and I've, I've watched a lot of videos on it either way, but I, I'm kind of with you. Like I'm on the more neutral side of it. Like, I don't think it'll fully shift our market, you know, like into a, a completely different market. I do think that there'll be enough to come on that will, will cause a lot of people to get some good homes. And I, yeah. I'm with you on the fact that they're going to want to sell them to you know, single family homeowners versus investors all day long if they can. And that's what the government will force or want them to do. Yeah. To probably make it work for them. So, yeah. All right. Well, um, I want to go to yeah. another topic on market because cool. I think that we're both going to get passionate about uh, this topic. What was your prediction on construction costs and labor coming into 2021? Hmm. Well, I knew it was going to go up. I didn't know it was going to go up to the crazy levels that it did. You know, like I knew that with things slowing down and production slowing down, that was just a sign when everything was shut down in China, things were shut down, factories shut down across the board. There's That's gotta cause a disruption. I didn't think it would last as long as it lasted. And I did not see lumber prices, you know, being squeezed to the point where they went to like all time highs. But what I saw, I think was more greed than anything. Like yeah. people that basically saw an opportunity to go in and short squeeze markets to drive up costs that they haven't been able to drive up for years. And so they took that opportunity to probably make billions of dollars. And now, you know, right after that, when you see lumber prices go through the roof and then, you know, at a tipping point fall off a cliff, I mean, that's probably a pretty good sign that somebody's pushing a market, you know. It's just not gonna happen like that because there was plenty of lumber. Like the Pacific Northwest is loaded with lumber. Like mills and stuff were backed up with wood everywhere. It's like, there's no, there's no way that it was like a supply issue when you can put stuff on freight trains. That's how they move lumber around all over the United States. They're not flying lumber, you know. They're on barges going out to China and they're in the Pacific Northwest being trained and trucked everywhere. So did you so. think that then from 2020, someone took advantage of a market and then in 2021, it was gonna go up and then it was gonna eventually come down. We didn't know how steep yeah. it was gonna come down, but you you were like, you know what, this is gonna come level down. Up, right? Yeah, but what, 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 what did things, you, oh, go ahead. Okay. Now, I was saying all those things, they drive, you drive a market up like that, 
you know, with inflation and everything else like that drives things up. And the, the old high that seemed high before becomes the new normal, right? So that is kind of the distressing thing about that and which drives costs up across the board to the point where it's, you know, $250 a square foot to build a house, you know, it's just kind yeah. of crazy. So, yeah. but yeah, yeah. so What's, uh, what was some other, yeah. like, uh, I, a lumber, I think, was a, a definite uh, hot button. I agree yeah. with you 100% on your philosophy there. But coming into 2021, what product did you think wasn't going to go up or was going to stay more steady that all of a sudden did go up? Or from a labor perspective, you know, what what was maybe staying pretty consistent for you on labor costs in yeah. 2020? And you thought, oh, my gosh, what happened to me here in 2021? What were your thoughts around some other things that kind of caught you off guard? Because I know I have one. I wanted to get yeah. yours first, though. Well, you know, labor costs for us, like, I think have remained constant because we have been able to, you know, hire people. That was probably one of the best things I think I've done to make sure that we had a really good year. But it, for us in the Pacific Northwest, it was mainly because you just couldn't get construction companies to work for you. You know, So we kind of were forced into that position. So we're able to control our labor costs across the board as long as people were working at an efficient rate, which is something that we did have to deal with, You know, kind of efficiency with some of the people. But I think probably on top of that, like it wasn't really like labor costs going through the roof because people already get paid really well here. But to me, it was just all the materials across the board, you know, like uh, I'm still, we have two projects just still just waiting for HVAC ducting, you know, Jeez. and I'm calling the guy. How, long, the have they been, like, how hey, long have you been waiting for something like that? For like, like over a month right now. Like I've, oh, he wow. knew about the projects months ago and he's been trying to get it all, but you know, I'm sure ducting gets in and then he has 10 other projects. He needs to get it. And he's like, okay, I'm going to have it by this time. I'm going to have it by this time. And now we're stuck waiting kind of like everybody else. And it's like, you can't close up your house until you have, you know, HVAC ducting. And, and the other crazy thing is just like, um, you know, like PVC piping and stuff like that. The plumber is telling me like piping, PVC pipe, you know, ABS pipe, I guess I should say, went up like five times or, or 10 times, some crazy astronomical number that he never thought. Hot water heaters. He goes, I would never thought you'd be paying like, you know, $1,500 to install a hot water heater with his labor costs and everything included, you know. But the bigger portion of that is the materials. And typically it was always labor costs and material costs were almost 50-50, right? Like it was kind of, now it's more like labor costs are, are here and material costs are up here, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's funny you bring up plumbing because we literally had a couple different projects where our plumber couldn't get a 90 degree elbow to save his life yeah. because they were gone and there was no inventory of them anywhere in any major yeah. supplier. And Chris, uh, my main GC or partner he was just like i had to call everywhere online he goes i everywhere he goes literally a 90 degree elbow for plumbing is what's holding me up on this job <laughs> and like it's it's those things that have just drove us nuts i mean yeah. to the point where we had to buy a um an oven and a range for a client that was significantly less so like if the client wanted a level nine range we're delivering them because of a debate like we didn't want to buy a level nine and be like yeah here you can have this and we have to take it back but it had to be like a level six like they have a standard yeah, and they're not like right. i'm not gonna live with this piece of junk in my house so we had there were several times where we had to buy things that were lesser grade to put it in the house until the yeah. actual product came in because of the supply chain but I didn't expect that. Like I knew that there'd be stuff. I knew there'd be delays. I knew that, but I didn't expect that we couldn't finish houses or people that have to move in. And we're all of a sudden piecemealing all these different things. And then on top of that, like you have to deal with people when it comes to that, because this is an emotional thing, right? Yeah. Same thing, you know, on, so yeah. that was the one thing like 2021, I definitely knew there was going to be supply chain issues. I definitely knew, you know, let's say a garage door normally takes, eight weeks to get or four weeks to get, you know, it might take eight weeks. It might take 10 weeks. Oh no, a garage door, like a custom garage door takes like half a year to get. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. I didn't You're expect like, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Windows. That's another great example. Windows, oh. bare bones windows. You know, we, we have one company we order our windows from and we ordered them for a project, I think in like June and finally got them into the house, like for the one that we're having the biggest issues with finally just got them into the house like a few weeks ago it's like just delay after delay after delay exactly know, exactly crazy. and then the big so. one i want to talk about was that totally caught me off guard is that we have this awesome tile guy and he's been doing our tile for 10 years 
And we have two crews, like this guy and another guy. They've been doing our tile for 10 years. Well, Carlos is his name. And Carlos came in on this last project that we're just about to finish up. And because Carlos has been working with us for so long, we're able to really predict kind of where he's going to be on, on what he's doing per square foot. Well, our buddy Carlos comes in and instead of something costing somewhere around $7,500 for his labor on tile, um, yeah. he literally doubled his cost. So instead of $7,500, it's now $16,000 oh. for him to do the tile work in this house wow. that should be somewhere around $7,500. I'm like, what? I said, Chris, you, 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 you got to have – this has to be a mistake. Like what, yeah. how, did you, how do we screw this up? Tim, it's not a mistake. Carlos – doubled his prices. And he basically said to us, he said, Hey guys, I love you. I actually am giving you a better price than I normally would give other people because I want to keep working with you and I want to take care of you guys. But he goes, I'm not going to take this huge cut and have my, and, and charge 25% of what I can get out in the market. I got, I have to charge you at least 50 to 65% of what I can get to the market. Wow. So, you know, I, I'm sorry. It's not that anything against you guys, but I have to make a living too. And I said, you know, Carlos, you're right. I mean, if you can get it, that's free market capitalism right there. Like mm -hmm. if you can get it, you got to take advantage of it. The lumber yard could get it. They had to take advantage of it. I said, just, just remember this though, Carlos, this won't last forever. <laughs> I will be around forever. I was yeah. around the downturn. I helped yeah. a lot of guys like you make money when they couldn't find anybody else to make money with. I said, so just remember that because I'm going to remember this. But otherwise, yeah. you know what? Good for you, man. But that, yeah. I was like, man, that's $7,000 off the bottom line. Boom. That's right there crazy. for the tile guy. Yeah. <laughs> man. Yeah. So I guess there is that, right? So people see those squeezes in markets and they decide, they're going to increase their rates too. Like why not if people are going to pay it to them and everybody's in this frenzy and especially, you know, probably like that average homeowner, they're, they're reading the news, this oh, and that. Yeah. And so when they say costs are up, all he has to do is walk in. He goes, yeah, costs are really high right now. They're like, Oh, we already knew that, but we really need this bathroom. Yeah. That bathroom's going to cost you $15,000. And he was sitting there thinking four years ago or even a year ago, I can only charge 7,500 for this bathroom. It's like, because I have to work, I have to now work with half the amount of customers to make the same amount of money. It's like, <laughs> it's, but you're right though. If the market changes, the people that are dependable like us, those are, those are the ones that they should be always saying, these are the bread and butter clients that I stick with. And then I go out and I do that and they should focus other ways and, on expanding their business. And so. I'll tell you that our guys, I mean, Chris has worked with some of these guys for 20, 30 years. Wow. They, they have That's been crazy. good to us and we yeah. understand and it's been amicable and Carlos, still love the guy, you know? Yeah. Um, and I understand what he's got to do, but that's just what we have to deal with. And, yeah. you know, in 2022 predictions in the next podcast episode, I got, I got something big to tell you because I think I learned something from you when it came to the construction side, but I'm going to save that for the next podcast episode. Nice, Let's awesome. jump into deals. Let's mm -hmm. jump into deals. I want to two questions here. Cause I, again, I want to keep this under 45 mm -hmm. minutes, this episode, two questions. Number one, which deal this year worked for you the way you wanted it to work or even was better than the way you thought it was going to go down? And like, what did you learn from it? And let's just talk about something like that, like a, a big positive where you're like, yeah. oh, I'm going to this project, man, this worked out great. This worked out great. And I actually did better than I thought. Let's go into that, number one. And then number two, what we're going to talk about is the one that didn't work out quite the way you wanted it to. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, no doubt. Cool. Uh, the big one for me was the one that we did recently that my brother locked up and got a really good price on that cosmetic update. It brought me back around to reiterating and really making sure that we have projects on the short term, the midterm and the long term. And that's how I kind of broke it down. Like short term projects, you got to have a few of those going midterms, kind of the studs up remodels and the long terms are the ground up constructions. You know, that's kind of what caused me to go back and go. And that one just worked out so quickly, you know, because it went you know, it, it hit the market so fast. Now it's actually closing, I think tomorrow uh, or within the next day or so. So it should be closing here pretty quick. And it's like, we're going to make a huge grip of cash on that. You know, we, it was such a good win and for us. Did you turn that in like less than 60 days? Yeah. Well, yeah, we probably had it on the market inside of less than 45. So yeah, it's a, uh, 
it was a quick turnaround. We just put all of our people on it because we knew. And that's where I was like, this is really great because like our, our midterm and our long-term projects always have pause points, right? So if you have those shorts rolling in there, it's like you can just go in there and just get everybody, you get a whole crew of people on them. They can crush a house fast, you know, when it's cosmetic. And that yep. was just like, was, was such a great thing to have happen at the end of the year. It was a good reminder that those are the things. And we just got stuck into some of these longer projects because it was the deals that we could find, you know, and then, but when that came back around, it just really reinforced that point for me. So hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. For sure. And you know, it's funny that you said that because that's exactly the same kind of project. This one that I just inked the other day. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I, I hadn't done a quick cosmetic micro flip yeah. in a long time, years. And I was just like, you got to get back to that, man. You got to get back to the yeah. fundamentals. You got to get back to more diversification because, you know, in 2020, it was all about like, whoa, high risk, high risk, because everything was going so peachy before 2020. It was like I, you couldn't really do anything wrong in the infill development you know, space for me. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden 2020 hit and I'm like, OK, buddy, like this is a shot across the bow, <laughs> you know, and like, yeah. let's get back to some fundamentals. Let's diversify a little bit. And that. This project I had was was that it was a two story. I mean, it was a you know somewhat more expensive. I mean, for a micro flip, it was I got it for three hundred and thirty thousand, and I put thirty thirty thousand dollars in, which is like I, I don't know the last project I only put thirty thousand dollars in. So that was actually yeah. really nice, and That's I could nice. just you know it was cash outlay out of my pocket instead of having to get bank financing and all that, mm -hmm. and then. Um, I had the I had the rehab done in 30 days, a little bit over. I think it might have been 45 days because we were waiting on a couple different things. I, I don't even know the last time I ever had a property turn in 45 days either. And I was like, man, this is awesome. And then now I put the house on the market, and I, we talked about this in one of the last po last podcasts. I was so stoked about how everything was going and like what my potential profit margin was. I got greedy and I overpriced it. And then I finally brought the price down because Diana on my team was like, hey, um, just want to let you know that you're kind of like every other seller that we talk to. Like you overpriced yeah. it and you got emotional. <laughs> and I'm like, God, you're so right. And anyway, yeah. so then I dropped the price down to the right price and boom, I got an offer. But I, I spent, you know, 45 days on the market. I, not No, not 45 days. I spent almost 30 days on the market before I got that offer and I had to make a $10,000 price reduction. Um, but what's so funny about this is, I still know the market's solid because I'm sitting on the market for almost 30 days and then I drop the price and all of a sudden all these showings start to pick up. Cause like when I dropped the price, I only had about five showings. I was like, what's mm. going on here? Then all of a sudden yeah. I dropped the price 10 K I'm at 15 showings after about two weeks. I'm like, okay, here we go. Now we're in the sweet spot. And then all of a sudden, boom, on the same day, I get multiple offers. What? How? How? <laughs> what are the odds of two humans right? saying I'm going to write an offer after this property's been on the market for 28 days, on the same day? It, it couldn't have worked out any better for me. So I was able to leverage a multiple offer situation to drive the price up. Now I did get exactly yeah. my full price, but I was able to still leverage those, which is a sweet negotiation strategy yeah. that I had, um, to to get the price up within five thousand dollars of my asking price, and I crushed it on that deal. I mean, I wow. was like. I got to do more of these. I got to do more of these. Yeah. And, and so you, it's funny how you and I both looked at that. And I think it's a, it's a risk reward balance that we both came to the conclusion of like, wow, that was a pretty sweet deal. So let's go to the next one. Like, and I'm pretty sure I know which, which deal you're going to bring up. Not but. actually the one you think. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to talk about that anymore. Okay. I got a, I got a better, I got to diversify. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, so I think last year at some point we picked up a place uh, off of a, just, it was, it was a probate deal that my brother picked up great price. We picked it up for like 136, right? So then we're like, you know, we're going to like, okay, we're going to partition this property or we're not going to partition this property or we're going to partition it. So we get in during the construction phase and it was probably one of our first projects we started doing last year that we were studs up on, had to do, you know, some major rework to the inside and, got it all like done and in the end like overspent on it right because construction costs and stuff were going up uh the, the couple of dudes that we were using were taking a little bit longer than what they should have you know on the project Imagine you know which that. we kind of look back and realize yeah now um but in the end like you know we ended up you know going to the market um and then saying, but you've got to work with us on completing this partition because we decided in the last phase we're going to partition. So 
you know, then so like that wasn't super attractive. And those are just factors that people don't understand, right? So then I go and pay like an extra $5,000, sit with the city to get this whole partition plan. And they start telling me, yeah, we need you to put the power to the house underground. It was like, well, it's got an overhead drop. Why would you need to do that? Like, it's fine. Like, well, and they're talking about the, the, the existing house. I'm like, oh, let's, can we just talk about the partition? They're like, yeah, but you're going to have to put the existing house underground. I'm like, well, why? And then they're like, well, you're going to have to pave the existing house like a bigger section of this driveway area. And I'm like, why? You know, it's the existing house. We're talking about a partition. And they're like, well, we need you to replace the street light in front of it. I'm like, and it's, at the end, so the end of the meeting, I basically, I'm like, you know, you guys are just like, I'm going to have to spend now another $30,000 still hold this property because we've kind of decided we're going to end up holding this property, pulled it off the market so we could finish this partition because nobody wanted to work with us to do this, right? So we totally did that, you know, pull it off the market and we're trying to figure out this partition to the, in the end be like, this is ridiculous. This city's ridiculous to work with. And we thought they were going to be easier. So then we go and put it back on the market. Um, I think we had an offer on the property. Was it partitioned or did you just bail on that whole thing? We bailed on it. So we had to bail on it. So I threw extra money at that, another five to $7,000. And then, you know, we actually had an offer at the time, but it didn't come in at the appraised value. So that's when we decided like, we'll just pull it off the market, you know? And we ended up then putting it back on the market with the extra piece of the land with it, you know, so it's all together now. And we ended up still taking less than what our regular original oh, offer was. No. So we walked away, I think with like 55 or $60,000 on this property. Well, I don't we feel too just, bad for you then. <laughs> we made money, but like we could have probably made almost a hundred if we would have done it right. But we also probably could have just taken that exact same house and put it back into MLS with no work at all and just wholetailed it and just probably made more money than what we made after holding it for basically a year. You know, and I was just like, so what, what would you say thing, you so. learned? Like, what did you learn from that, that you would do differently or that would change up your decision-making if something like yeah. that came up again? So, yeah. The big learn is like not getting so caught up into like, uh, always thinking you want to do these major remodels. Maybe if you get a good buy, Maybe making seventy-five thousand on that is better than making a hundred. You know, maybe it's better than making one hundred twenty-five because you have to do nothing else to the property, right? You could just put it back in there. The, the second thing I learned from that is planning and understanding what are you going to do with the property before you press the go button. So when you have that locked down, you're like, are we? Because we were wishy-washy on the partition. We knew it was going to, and the reason that was it was going to take six to nine months. But then if we'd have started that in the very beginning, we might've been able to absorb those costs along the way and do those things. And we could have figured out, well, we got to put the power underground. You know, we already had replaced the drop line. So it was reversing work to, to you know, we'd have to be reversing work to put in, you know, work that had already been just done. So it was kind of like, if we would have just planned, taken like, you know, a week or so and really planned this thing out and said, are we going to do this? Let's investigate. That would have been very helpful. And we could have probably had a better outcome with it. But lesson learned, you know, looking back. Yeah. Know. No, I hear <laughs> I still you. Made money though, so. It's funny because the city is always going to be your biggest pain in the ass. And my story is the same way. Uh, it's a project that we did that we had a customer for, uh, 4306 Oakdale Avenue South in Edina. Uh, I've had this property forever, uh, rented it out for years. It's just been a pain in my ass, this property. But yeah. It, everything went well, you know, it was sold and it was closed. But what happened was, is that I, the city of Edina comes up with this new watershed district and this new, <laughs> these new watershed rules, which basically, if you don't understand what watershed is, it's when you're building on smaller lots on infill development. So you're taking these smaller lots and you're building these big houses on them. You're only allowed to cover so much surface area. And that surface area has to be either permeable or it's impermeable. And you need to have so much permeable surface area so that the water can drain properly and it doesn't pool up and people don't have floods and, and have water in their basement and all these different things. And I get it. And that, and that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But what doesn't make sense is that some of these people that work at the city are just, I mean, we have this one lady, she works at the city. She, so every time we do any Dyna property, we have to go to her and she calculates the watershed and, and permeable and impermeable surface. Well, on this Oakdale property, I mean, we definitely maxed out the lot. I mean, we have this big old house on there and the client wanted to do this and that, which we're like, you know, you do know that this is going to affect your, your blah, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just let's get it done. Okay. But they're going to come out and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, so what happens is, <laughs> 
I have, we have $10,000 in escrow on multiple properties just for this problem. So you have to have like, you, you get the occupancy permit, they move in, then you get this lady to come out whenever it's, whenever she's a, it's convenient for her, which is usually 30, 60, 90 days. And then she finally comes out and then she does the math and she says, Oh yeah, you know, you do have a little, like it's a, it's basically a divot. So like you have your lawn, right? Like this, but you have to create a, 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 a like a divot, like a catching pool and it's all grass, but it's just a, it's like a, it's concave so that the water can sit there and slow down and then it can permeate into the, the yard. Well, because yeah. we created so much, we took up so much surface area, this hole just became like, what? Like, I'm not going to have a hole in my backyard. Yeah. Like, this is crazy. I got young it. kids. Like, it's like a trap you just built in my backyard. And she yeah. goes, well, I'm sorry, but you, you guys should have known this. Like, this is part of the calculation, blah, 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 blah. It was. It's all year, literally 12 months of dealing with this lady to get this thing figured out of how deep do we have to go with this hole so here's my biggest thing like here's my biggest lesson learned <laughs> the client is now going i don't care what the city has to say at the end of the day i have young kids i'm not gonna have a hole in my yard whose problem is this like this shouldn't be our problem and that was the big lesson i learned was you're right it shouldn't be your problem you're right we should be able to solve these problems even though it's kind of an unknown to us because this was kind of just thrown at us. We should be the one that looks out for your best interest. So we had to eat crow and we put in a rain garden on our dime in the back to make sure that they were happy with the property. Now those are tough choices because they cost thousands yeah. of dollars. But at the end of the day, I think Robert can attest to it. Do the right thing because you have a reputation always uphold your reputation even if it costs you money in the in the end because you can never get your reputation back you can never fix it and seven thousand five thousand dollars whatever it costs to build, build a rain garden they're still disappointed with the experience because of these things that we couldn't control but yep. they are saying you know what at the end of the day you did take care of us you did what we had to do to do the right thing and that was a huge lesson for me because this is an obstacle we're going to hit over and over and over, but yet now you're more prepared for it, but you're always going to have obstacles that you can't prepare for. And it's how do you handle that adversity? Do you handle it in protection of your reputation or do you handle it in protection of dollars? Well said, man. That's a hundred percent on par. That was a good so, one. That was my big pain this year. Uh, I learned a big lesson from it. It was expensive. But again, as long as you're always doing things, and Grando and I look at it this mm -hmm. way all the time, like whenever we're talking about problems, is as long as you always look at problems and say, well, my, number one, my reputation is the most important thing to me. You cannot, there's no price for it. Uh, and number two is, you know what, it's only money. I'll make more. Then number three is, is okay, what is fair? And because there's plenty of people out there that are going to try to take advantage of fair. Mm -hmm. But if you can hit fair and you manage your reputation and you don't lose the bank, like everything you have, then you know what? That's how you, I believe you solve that, those big problems. Um, but man, I, I don't know, Grando, is there anything you want to add to the 2021 annual investment review podcast for 2021 <laughs> that we missed or that you want to throw in? No, I think it's a, probably a pretty good learning year for everybody, you know, figuring things out, seeing where the markets are going to go. Are we going to keep climbing? How much How much more do we go? Or is, is this the new normal? You know, that's the other thing that I thought. Maybe our housing prices are the new normal and maybe we're not going to have this massive, you know, drop off like everybody thinks are going to happen. I don't think we'll have a massive drop off, but I, I think there will be kind of a neutral market at some point. But there's a lot of factors that go into that, you know. So, yeah. you know, I, I've, I've kind of it's just been a learning year for me. I'm excited because, uh, you know, Zillow got their ass kicked, which yeah. if that doesn't put a smile on your face, I oh don't know. Will. Like these guys are supposed so to be hard. geniuses and all of a yeah. sudden they got into the game that they didn't even know how to play and it backfired. You know what? But I give them a ton of credit for taking their losses and stepping yeah. up and saying, hey, we tried something. And even we yeah. fail every once in a while, mm -hmm. except they just failed 
in billions of dollars instead of, you know, 400 billion a, a in a quarter thousand bucks like you and I, right? <laughs> yeah. I, so the only I other person buying houses besides me is my brother. So <laughs> I think that's Not something I definitely that. want to talk about and like <laughs> go into this next episode on 2022 uh, predictions, because I think that was a big indicator going into 2022. Um, I want to talk about labor, what were our thoughts are on labor going into 2022. I want to tell you my, my secret, which is a big move for me. Uh, that you were a big influence nice. on going into 2022. Cool. What do Excited. you want to talk about? Like just to set the table for this next podcast episode going into 2022, <laughs> that's like on top of your mind. Yeah. 2022 on top of my mind is kind of what I, I hit on just a little bit before, you know, um, well, actually, so the big thing is planning, you know, it's probably the big thing for us. We're planning our business and our systems and all that stuff and the right people, you know, in the right seats in our company. That's, that's probably the big thing for us this year. Uh, and then just having, um, instead of saying, I want to do 15 rehabs, what we did was so general. Now I want to focus, you know, it, the concept of, you know, short-term, mid-term and long-term projects and what those kind of mean to us. I think those are kind of the, the big things because I think they have a lot of people can get in money crunches, you know, along the way. And I think focusing on, I need this many in this category, this many in this bucket, you know, here and here. I think it's just a really good strategy that we're, my brother and I were talking about. We're like, yeah, we should be looking at it like that. And I think that'll be our, our focus, you know, next year as we're planning out our business. I think it'll be a great topic to talk about. Awesome, man. Well, you yeah. know what? That's a great podcast episode. I do truly believe this is going to be one of the best podcast episodes in 2021. And we are looking forward to talking with you on the next episode of the value driven investor podcast. Again, you know what? We would love your support on iTunes, Stitcher, if you guys could please go on there and make comments, ask questions, give us a review. We want to get this out to the world. Come to our Facebook page, Value Driven Investor Facebook page. We've got an Instagram page. We're out there. All you have to do is type Value Driven Investor in Google or someplace, and you're going to find us. Visit our blog. We're doing blogs. We're adding more content. We're scaling this thing. Uh, as much as we can. Obviously, we're in the very, very beginning, 25, 26 episodes in, but there's momentum. Um, there's a lot of momentum and we're having great conversations with people and we want to have more conversations with you guys. So please, you know, give us some feedback, ask us questions, give us a review, and we will see you on the next podcast episode. Thanks for listening to the Value Driven Investor Podcast, where we lead by giving. For more information about our community and what's new, visit valuedriveninvestor.com. The Value Driven Investor Podcast was produced by Digital Legend Media in Minneapolis. Build your legend, digitallegendmedia.com.